0: grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As a mom was preparing pancakes for breakfast for her two young boys, Kevin and Ryan, they began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Now, I don't know about you, but the first pancake is always a test pancake. The third or the fourth one is always the best one for me, so I don't know why they were arguing, but they are pretty young. Not wanting to miss a teachable moment, the mom said this to them, She said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Kevin turned to his younger brother and quickly said, okay, Ryan, you get to be Jesus. (laughs) Much quicker than last night's crowd. Took them a lot longer to figure that out. Well, I'm making an assumption that because Zion has folks with a servant heart and so many of you that it's a wonderful place to be. A wonderful place to serve, a wonderful place to worship, but I think we can all step up our servanthood just a little bit. Because the trouble with us, our sinful selves, our sinful lives, is that our default setting is often more towards the selfish side, or the self-centeredness, rather than other-centeredness. You see, you and I have been redeemed for a reason. Another way to say this and the theme of the day is that we have been saved to serve, not saved to be served. So today I want to talk about four ways that we can become better servants. In our gospel reading, Jesus has just shared these amazing things with his disciples. He said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Wow. you imagine being one of the disciples? Jesus packed a whole lot into those two sentences. Well, immediately following what Jesus said, you hear two of the disciples. They've put, Jesus words out of their mind and now it's kind of turned back towards themselves and we hear from Mark 10 verse 35 and James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him and asked him teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask boy it certainly didn't take them long from turning to amazement and probably being a little bit afraid about what Jesus was saying to then now having an attitude of arrogance. And this isn't the first time the followers of Christ haven't got caught up in this idea of who is the bright and the best and the favorite. In fact, right after Jesus' first prediction of his upcoming suffering, Peter argued with him. Remember that? And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, because Peter was having none of it. After his second prediction of suffering, the disciples also were arguing among themselves about what was going to happen and who was going to be the best. You see, when Jesus was alive, the disciples, they never quite seemed to figure out the importance of selfless servanthood. In fact, during the Last Supper, on the night before his death, unbelievably, we read these words in Luke chapter 22. A dispute arose among them as they're there celebrating the Passover. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Wow. Wow. So as we come to our text today, hopefully you kind of understand where this sermon is going, that you're going to hear some things that maybe think, uh, maybe I'm a little bit like those first followers of Jesus, maybe a little bit more than I even care to admit. And if we want to live differently than the disciples did, we've got to incorporate four attitudes and four actions to be better servants. And the first step towards being a better servant is to monitor our motives in Matthew chapter 20, we get a little bit fuller information about what's going on here with the disciples. Even though that James and John are called the sons of Zebedee, we find out they're really mama's boys. Functioning like a helicopter parent, their mom appeals to Jesus on his, her boy's behalf. This is what we hear from Matthew. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, say not that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So here's what I want you to do, Jesus. One on my right, one on your left, and then we'll go from there. Well, maybe some of you know the mother's name was Salome, and she was likely the aunt of Jesus. Maybe James and John thought she'd be able to pull some family strings for them. Now, before we go and get really hard on these guys, We want to think about how we are often like them in our same way. Don't we often have demands of our God? Don't we often ask him, see, all these things I'm doing, what will you do for me now, Christ? So instead of saying to the Savior, we want you to do whatever we ask of you, our prayer should be more something like this. We want to do for you whatever you ask of us. How often do we do that? In verse 36 of our gospel lesson, Jesus asks the disciples to put their request into words. Okay, you want something from me? I want you to spit it out and reveal your own self-centered attitudes. What do you want me to do? Jesus says. And we read what they said. Sounds like maybe they rehearsed this. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now again, Before we get too tough on these guys, we have to listen to a little context. Back in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was telling them about this. Truly I say to you, in the new world, in glory in the kingdom, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the disciples had heard that part right. But they were more focused on the crowns than they were Jesus coming in glory. Warren Wiersbe comments, Jesus was speaking about a cross. The disciples were more worried about the crown and the throne. Yeah, but you know, it's really easy for us too to get our motivations out of whack. James and John, they wanted position. They wanted power and prominence. They wanted to be the closest to Jesus. So it should go from Jesus to James and John and then everybody else. And their mom was in on that too. All three of them wanted their will to be done in their way and in their time. So you and I, as best we can, need to ask ourselves some questions about being a servant or being a better servant. We don't want to be serving to impress others. We don't want to be serving to gain favor with God. We want to be serving because it's the right thing to do. You see, the world tells us that actions speak louder than words, so I need to get out there and do some work for God. But you know what the Word says? It says that motives speak louder than actions or words. I came across this quote by Paul Miller who said, The greatest struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. It's trying to discern my own and discern my will. Figure out, where are my motives? Why am I doing the things that I want to do? Yeah, when we're faced with their mixed-up motives, like Jesus was that day, he asked them to spell it out. Okay, you want something? Ask it of me. And friends, we need to do the same. We need to really think about, what is our motivation for serving? Why am I doing this? Why am I serving here? Who am I serving? Am I doing this for God's glory? or because it makes me look good. And there's also kind of a lesson here for us parents as well. While Salome, the boy's mom, no doubt wanted what was best for her sons, she actually was exhibiting a spirit of entitlement, is what we would call it today. And sometimes we parents, we get caught up in this. We focus on the success of our kids and how well they're doing, that we can end up creating self-centered sons and daughters that think they're the prince and princesses, and always deserving of the best and the brightest. But friends, it's often helpful to remember that our kids often learn the best way through losses in life. Character is built through stress, most often, rather than success. I wish it were the opposite. I wish that character was built through doing better and being better. But often, it's those losses in our life, those challenges in our life, that build us up the most. So the first step towards servanthood, or better servanthood, is to monitor our motives. The second step to improve our attitude of servanthood is to prepare for problems. So after those boys made their bold and brash request of Jesus, he responded rather bluntly, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's really saying, you guys don't have a clue what you're asking me. And knowing here in Aramaic or Hebrew, which they would have been speaking, that the cup was often a symbol of suffering or affliction. And to drink means taking something deep inside. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane on that first Monday Thursday, Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 26, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but your will. And at its core, baptism is to be identified with Jesus by drowning my sin and claiming his forgiveness that he bought for me. The whole idea here in Jesus' language of the cup to drink and the baptism with which I am baptized is all about Jesus being immersed in some sort of intense suffering and he's saying, you guys are asking for the same. Psalm 69 verse 2. Is a good illustration of this. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And we know that Jesus, on top of all the physical pain that he went through that week, he's about to experience the undiluted wrath of the righteous and holy Father as he takes on the sins of the entire world on his shoulder as he goes to that cross. And in some way that we can't yet understand, the Father imputed or transferred the guilt of our sins onto Jesus. And he in our place bore the punishment that you and I totally deserve. And his was a final and full payment for sin. He took on all of our badness, and that satisfied both the wrath and the righteousness of God. So that now God could forgive us sinners without compromising his own holy standard that things that he he surrounds himself with have to be perfect. So it's so interesting that Jesus uses these two word pictures, the cup, which reminds us of communion, and baptism, which of course are baptismal font, the two great sacraments of the church. I don't think it was any accident that Jesus talked about the cup and baptism in this way. Well unbelievably at this point the boys are not dissuaded and they answer Jesus' question and say yeah we're able to do all of that that you're asking of us. I think they were a bit too eager in their response and Jesus again reinforces this when he says the cup that I drink you will drink and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. You see they wanted glory but Jesus says you got to prepare for something else first. You're going to have problems and grief and challenges before you get to the glory. And it's true that while we always don't always know how much in advance we're going to suffer or when we're going to suffer, how long we're going to suffer, we do know that if we're serious about following Jesus, he does assure us that problems will follow. Philippians chapter 1, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You know, James, he didn't have to suffer for long. He was the first of the 12 that was martyred. We hear that in Acts chapter 12. John, on the other hand, lived to be 95 years old, and his life was just filled with difficulty, culminating, of course, with his banishment to the island of Patmos. So, you know, James was executed, and John was exiled. And friends, if you are serious about serving Be ready to suffer. Maybe you'll be taken home early like James was, or maybe you'll battle a long time like John did. But to drink the cup has a reference not only to suffering in this world, but it also refers to being faithful to the very end. This phrase that Jesus used was also understood to drain the entire cup until it was emptied. So remain steadfast through the suffering, through the trials, all the way to the very end. And then Jesus says this in verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left hand, that's not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So now after monitoring our motives, after asking ourselves why we're wanting to be a servant and preparing for the problems that will become because we are serving, the third way that we need to improve our service is to elevate others. In case you're beginning to wonder how the other ten disciples are feeling about this. (laughs) We hear in verse 31 that they began to be indignant at James and John. Sure they were ticked off. Mother Salome, it's kind of a family thing going on there. Peter must have really been ticked off because Peter Peter was right there with them. He was part of the inner circle, kind of their spokesman. They were really mad that these two were using their mommy to get special treatment, and they didn't get to them first. (laughs) They weren't appalled so much by the lack of understanding of true servanthood, but they were upset that James and John asked first. Wow. The spiritual attitude of the ten, it wasn't any better than that of the two. Have you noticed in your own life how angry we can become at the sin in others? while the same sin in our lives doesn't seem like such a big deal. Yeah, it's so interesting how we can condemn things in others, but in our own lives we can excuse the same. Now the next part in verse 42, I just love what Jesus does. And Jesus called them to him, the text says. And that's exactly what needs to happen when there's trouble and tension and strife between the followers, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we see Jesus calling them to himself, we know that he's doing it out of tenderness and familiarity. I picture him gathering them in a huddle, say, Come on guys, get a little closer so you can hear about hear what I'm going to say to you. He brings them back into community with each other and then gives them a lesson in how differently things are going to be run in his kingdom. You see, there's a a sharp contrast between the servanthood philosophy of the Savior and the rest of the world that they were dealing with, and our world today. Where Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them? And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yeah, and it's true then, it's true today. The world's way teaches that we ought to spend all of our energy climbing that ladder, getting to the top, because then we get to boss everybody around. But Jesus reminded them that seeking power was actually a pagan or Gentile practice here, he says. He's, in essence, telling them that that things aren't going to operate this way in the kingdom. In the family of God, if you're not God the Father, and just so you know, you're not God the Father, then there's only one level below that, and that is servant. There's God the Father, everyone else is a servant. Notice the next verse. Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And this was as counter-cultural then as it is today. It's a radical teaching for Jesus to define success in terms of being a servant. But if his disciples were to be leaders in the kingdom, they had to learn how to elevate others. Because what is a servant? It's someone whose heart is intent upon and whose will is bound to the will of someone else. If I am your servant, and I am in a very real way as your pastor, then what you say goes. You have the last word. I ran across this motto of the California Conservation Corps that says, hard work, low pay, miserable conditions, and more interestingly this is very effective and it's how they recruit millennials right now but here's the principle if we want to become truly great then we must give up our personal rights and be ready to serve others Jesus is saying something like this we need to consider everyone as someone to be served and consider everyone else's will before our own And now finally, wrapping up with the fourth attitude adjustment that needs to happen as we talk about servanthood, we need to embrace the example of Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't just shake up our self-centered motive and and tell us to prepare for problems. He also challenges us to put others before ourselves. And in case you're wondering how this looks, what this looks like, just look at Jesus and what he did. Look at verse 45. He told his disciples, for even I, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. You know, that's really a summary of Mark's gospel. Jesus is servant and Savior. Jesus in his life here on this earth, every day was a servant. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was modeling, he was healing, he was doing all of these things to serve others. And he finally gave his life as payment so that we could be set free. Paul wrote this to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus paid the price, and he gives us in the exchange freedom. You and I give Jesus the only thing we have, our rottenness, and in exchange we get his righteousness. Wow, that's a wonderful exchange on our part. We know that the the balance is tipped away in his favor, but that's fine. So let's review. If we want to be a better servant, and I hope we all do, then we need to monitor our motives. We need to ask ourselves questions about why we're doing these things. We also need to prepare for problems. If we're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be challenges that we're going to have to endure. We need to elevate others before ourselves. Serve others as if their will is more important than ours. And finally, we need to look at the example of Jesus and embrace what he modeled for us, being a servant to everyone. And that might just mean letting someone else have the first pancake. (laughs) Now who's willing to be like Jesus? The answer is everyone. Amen.